It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 880 of Locked On Raptors for, I guess we're calling this the Sunday episode. It's kind of your Monday episode. Either way, it's February 7th or 8th when you're listening to this. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Lockdown Podcast Network. We've got a lot of great stuff for you from the NHL coverage we have going strong right now to the MLB season inching closer. Of course, full breakdown of the big game on Sunday on the NFL side. So go and listen and subscribe and support all the shows that you want to support. It's very appreciated. All right. On today's show, the Toronto Raptors have had a one in one weekend against the Brooklyn Nets and the Atlanta Hawks. The game against the Nets on Friday was uh, under a cloud of COVID protocols and Kevin Durant stuff. It was very bizarre. And we're going to dive into that as well as our takeaways from the Atlanta Hawks game with one of our favorite guests from Pound the Rock, from The Score. It's our pal, Joe Wolfon. What's going on, man? Not too much. I mean, what is ever going on these days, really? Like, <laughs> there's so much you can say. Um, but, uh, you know, it's business as usual, I guess. Hanging in there. How about you? Ah, you know, we, we had this conversation off air before, but the it's the, the most loaded question there is, and uh, comparatively to other people, I'm fine. I'm doing all right. Um, by the way, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com right now. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN and get 20% off your next order. More on them a little bit later on in the show. All right, Joe, we have a lot to get into from these two games. I think we should probably spend the first segment diving into the non-basketball elements of the Raptors-Nets game on Friday, which were intensely bizarre, made it one of the stranger and honestly more depressing regular season watches I can recall. And, um, you know, I'm not really sure how to feel about it. I mean, I think I know how I feel about it, but I'm curious what you think. Uh, And then we'll dive into our actual on-court takeaways from that game as well before getting into the Hawks game in the final segment of the show. Uh, but yeah, let's start with Friday night with, uh, I guess, five minutes before tip off or whatever it was. Kevin Durant's ruled out for COVID protocols. He checks in 
eight minutes into that game, uh, I guess having cleared the COVID protocols, and then checks out in the third quarter with, uh, I guess, a re-entry into the COVID protocols because someone he had been with in the afternoon had tested positive after an inconclusive test. Seems to me, perhaps, that maybe the inconclusive test should have kept him out of the game, but I guess the NBA has their protocols and they'll stick by them no matter what. Joe, what was your sort of uh, feeling watching this game? Did you have the same ball of lead in your stomach that I did for much of it? Uh, what was your overall sort of experience with whatever the hell that Kevin Durant saga was on Friday night? I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I agree with James Harden. <laughs> like, if <laughs> uh, you know, if, if the situation was such that Durant you know, couldn't have been playing in that game as, as proved to be the case when that inconclusive test result did come back positive and he had to be pulled after playing, I don't know how many minutes he wound up playing like 15 or 16 minutes, but being in the same gym with uh, a whole bunch of other players and playing on a court with them for over an hour, essentially uh, in terms of, uh, you know, just the, the time spent like around other people, then like he, he, he just shouldn't have been playing in the first place. And after he had been playing, I just, I, I continue to not really understand this because if, if Durant had to be pulled from that game as a result of the contact tracing protocol, because he may have been exposed to somebody who registered a positive test, then I, I, how can that standard not apply to these people who he's been playing indoor basketball against for mm-hmm. over an hour? Like, I just didn't really get it. And, you know, as I I kind of pointed out after the game, it's like the NBA having seeded the moral high ground on COVID protocols to James Harden is maybe an indication that they should re-examine the way that they're going about this. And whether that was just postponing the start of the game until they could get that test result to decide if the game should go ahead at all, or it being an inconclusive result, Durant should have never been allowed to step on the court in the first place. Like one way or another, there very clearly should have been, uh, I think, just a a much (laughs) more rigorous vetting process and screening process uh, so that you didn't have a player who was ruled out, ruled in, and then ruled out again, having, you know, potentially exposed a bunch of his teammates and players on the Raptors. But Joe, didn't you read the press the press release that subs the the you know the the ruling out and the ruling in and the subsequent ruling out again? That was all out of an abundance of caution. Yes, you know? clearly. <laughs> the NBA just exercising all of that caution, just un, an unbearable amount of caution just flowing from the NBA. Yeah, it, it's it's really just kind of a nice little cherry on top of a week where the NBA has extremely shown its ass on how it actually feels about this between its NBA all-star plan that seems to be coming together, even though the players really seem to not want it outside of, I guess, Chris Paul. (laughs) I I don't really know what's going on there. Um, You know, this was a national TV game as well. So you're just embarrassing yourself in front of probably more eyes than you typically would get on a Raptors Nets game. I, I just... It, it just kind of all colors why how stupid this whole thing kind of is and I, I understand that the protocols exist for a reason and their sort of stipulations exist for a reason and I would imagine that they feel the risk is low enough from a potential close contact with Kevin Durant than being I guess like we don't know I'm not an epidemiologist I don't know how the incubation periods and stuff work like that I'm sure they're all scientifically you know vetted these plans and protocols but it just common sense wise it doesn't feel worth the squeeze to play this game when you have Kevin Durant in the situation he was in off the top of the game and then to have him leave again, it just, okay, yeah, it kind of amplifies the point that this should not have happened. And that was the bummer, watching this game, which was, I thought, objectively fun for the first half. The second half really kind of dragged as the referees made it about themselves and the um, the, the Kevin Durant thing hung over everything. But, uh, you know, I thought it was a really fun game that I couldn't really enjoy. It was a Kyle Lowry big balls performance that I couldn't really enjoy because it all felt like it should not have been happening. Do you think that this week, with this game taking place, all the controversy around it, the you know, speaking out from LeBron and Giannis and James Harden and a whole bunch of people who are saying the All-Star game is a dumb, bad idea. Do you think this week might at all 
change the way the NBA is approaching, particularly All-Star, but not, and maybe the whole season? I mean, they announced yesterday some more enhanced mask protocols or whatever and, and, and ask, asking people not to go to Super Bowl parties while they're still holding their own basketball party in a month. Um, do you think all of the outcry this week might change the NBA's thinking? Like, Do you think we could be on the track to seeing All-Star canceled once again? Well, th- this is the part that I don't really get. Uh, I think Chris Paul said in an interview or a scrum a couple of days ago that it's like out of the player's hands. And like the, the union had to agree to all-star weekend, right? Like that was an agreement made jointly between the NBA and the NBPA. So I, I don't understand really how it's out of the player's hands unless there was some kind of concession that they wanted, you know, whether it was adding that 18th roster spot or, uh, you know, whatever whatever concession it happened to be that they needed from the owners, and in return they had to agree to having an actual All Star Weekend. I feel like they did or should have some say in whether that goes ahead or not, and it seems like mm-hmm. they agreed to it. So that that's like where my confusion is. Like it's clear publicly, all these players are coming out and saying they're not interested. They don't want to do this, but. I guess, you know, we aren't really sure behind closed doors that, you know, the negotiations that led to that All-Star Weekend getting the green light, uh, you know, what happened there and whether there were players who felt like they didn't want this and they didn't have their voices represented in what I assume was like a proxy vote for the Players Association. But Mm -hmm. it seems like there's a disconnect there. Yeah, it really does. Um, I don't know what to make of, you know, I feel like if LeBron and Giannis, the two all-star captains of the last couple of years, are coming out and saying this, the NBA is going to have to look themselves in the mirror, I think, at some point here over the next month. And I'm sure there will be more COVID cancellations and all that stuff to color that decision making as well. You know, if you had to put like a, like a, a percentage chance on all-star actually happening based on what we're seeing. Like, do you feel, I know you're not privy to like league conversations or anything like that. This is entirely guesswork for us, but you know, are, are you still confident that the wheel of capitalism will continue forward and they'll just go through with it and the players will suck it up and go, or they'll pass and get fined. Or are you thinking maybe there's a chance that that just doesn't happen now? No, I think that's going to happen. I mean, <laughs> nothing nothing stops that wheel of capitalism (laughs) from spinning i mean that's been the lesson of i mean our entire lives really but like uh (laughs) the the pandemic i think has really just reinforced that uh like i i do think and and maybe you'll have players opting out um and like i I could totally see that happening where it's sort of a watered down all-star game and I, i mean I don't know. I, I, th- I think when, like, when it comes down to it, most of them will probably go, especially for the guys like who, you know, haven't been all-stars before, or it's not, mm-hmm. um, you know, something they've grown used to. Like maybe it's like Giannis decides it's not worth it for him and right. he opts out. But if like, you know, Jeremy Grant gets named to an all-star game for the first time, I feel like he would still go. Uh, I feel like a lot of them would still go, but yeah, I, I I don't think that it's going to get derailed um, for, for one reason or another. And it it might just be because some of the players are actually fine with it. Um, Yeah. And and I think it's worth pointing out too, you know, uh, one of the things that Giannis said when he was like, I'm, you know, I'm not interested in the all-star game was like, he, wanted he he like wanted to go to spain or something to like see his brother and so look like i understand this has been really difficult for the players uh and they have sort of you know they haven't been in a bubble in the same way that they were in orlando but they've been kind of sequestered and haven't been able to have the same kind of physical relationships with friends and family that they're used to but i mean that's that's something we're all dealing with and if the alternative to going to an all-star weekend in Atlanta is that they're going to be traveling and having close contact with friends or family members who haven't been part of this pseudo bubble where people are getting tested multiple times a day and you have like some degree of safety, then 
I, I mean, I don't know if that's a great outcome either, you know, and, and maybe that winds yeah. up, you know, a situation where it's almost similar to what the NBA was dealing with when they started up coming, you know, basically right on the heels of Christmas and you had a kind of surge in cases and that led to an outbreak within the NBA ranks. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, complicated right like uh, from a mental health perspective i totally understand the players wanting that and feeling like they need the break more than they need all-star weekend but from a health and safety perspective i i'm not 100 sure that the players are going to be any safer doing what they would like to be doing during that week off uh, as opposed to being in atlanta yeah it's a good point well put I'm with you. I, I too, think the wheel of capitalism will continue forward uh, unburdened. Hopefully, uh, we're proven wrong. It'd be nice if there was no All-Star. That would be freaking great. Speaking of round things that are unstoppable, we're going to get to Kyle Lowry and his game against the Nets in just one second. But first... I want to tell everybody about our friends over at 1010. 1010 is a wonderful place that you've probably heard about in the New York Times or InStyle Magazine or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about them right now. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters of each produce a uniquely beautiful commitment ring. They're available now exclusively at BlueNile.com, and when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're ready to mark a special commitment or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings is now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, Joe, uh, just a heads up to the listeners. The next episode I'll drop on Monday night, probably after the Memphis Grizzlies game. So stay tuned for that. Uh, But now let's get into the game against the Nets and our big takeaways. Uh, You know, I talked about Kyle Lowry going into the break. I feel like he's probably the main takeaway from this one. But Joe, what was your biggest takeaway from the Raptors win over the Nets on Friday night? Basketball wise, we can leave the, uh, you know, horrible COVID hellscape stuff for, for the last segment and we'll leave it behind. No, I mean, that was definitely it. That was like a vintage Kalo performance, especially in the second half. He just completely took that game over. Uh, The shot making was incredible. His playmaking was on point. Uh, He was so disruptive defensively. Uh, just, Just a beast that entire game. And I think, you know, led them to, you know, even with KD kind of being out and then in and out again. And obviously that was something that, it was difficult for the Nets to deal with, but um, that registers to me as probably the Raptors' best win of the season, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's funny, you look back and they haven't picked up a lot of amazing wins. They also haven't no. like played that many good teams when you look at the schedule. Yeah. It's been kind of, it seems like every game's been against the medium team, and I guess the whole league feels like medium teams this year outside of a few up the top, so maybe that's why that feels that way, but... Yeah, certainly I think their best win of the year, even though it really felt as though the offense was coming, you know, inordinately easy because the Nets just don't care about protecting the rim or anything. Um, It was nice to see them run a successful and good offensive attack, even when the Nets were allowing it. They, They, you know, they, it was one of their better offensive performances, I think, overall. And Kyle, you're right. You know, he very much took advantage of the fact that the Nets don't have much defense at the point of attack for the point guard position. And I just, his, 
ability to still get to the rim and score at his size and age and height and it just it's this baffling man he was six of nine on twos in this game and a lot of those are those little sort of going left mid-rangers and stuff like that but there was plenty of stuff around the rim too obviously the nets didn't try to stop that often but i just thought it was uh you know one of those games that I'm finding myself appreciating even more this season as we don't know what the future of Kyle Lowry is going to be with the team. Just kind of basking in the glow of those games. And, you know, it was tough, like I said, to kind of enjoy it in the moment because of everything that surrounded the game. But looking back on it and sort of looking at highlights, it's just there might not be that many more of these games left. And you should appreciate every single one of them for everything it's worth because it's worth a whole damn lot. Um, I also, I mean, this isn't a crazy take either, but Pascal Siakam had an incredible game as well. Uh, maybe his best game of the season, all told 33 points, 11 boards, six assists, three steals, 12 of 23, uh, nine of 10 from the free throw line as well. And like, he just really seemed to realize, and this has happened for him in a few games recently, I think against the magic against the Kings, basically all the games where he scores 30 plus, there gets a point in the game where he kind of realizes, oh, yeah, they don't have anyone who can stop me when I post up, and people make fun of my spin move, but boy, can this team not guard it whatsoever. And then he just goes back to it over and over and over again. And that's the kind of aggression that I think Siakam was really kind of missing during his his down periods in the bubble and into this year. And you combine that with the fact that He's not forcing things. He's not making it so every possession has to end with him shooting. And he's very happy to defer if he's seeing extra attention. And he's doing a really good job of making those reads. And that that's what leads to the six assists. I just thought it was an all-encompassing, excellent Siakam game. What did you like about the way he performed against the Nets? Yeah, I mean, I think pretty much all season, he's been at his best operating out of the post. Um, and there have been games when teams kind of load up on him there. So he isn't able really to get a whole lot going. And there, there are games where his touch kind of comes and goes, but, um, but, but I think he's been really effective out of the post pretty much all season. And especially after Durant went out of that game, mm-hmm. I, you could sort of see the light switch flip and him recognize that, he was going to be able to eat and you know, the, the nets wound up guarding him with Harden a bunch in the post. And honestly, that hasn't gone particularly well for Pascal in the past. So even at that point, I was kind of thinking, okay, you know, like, like Harden's given him some trouble. He's got the strength to use his hands really well. And it might be difficult for Pascal to get comfortable established down there, but uh, he really had no issue. Um, and you mentioned like he was going to the spin move, but he also obviously has the counter to that. If they're overplaying the spin move where he can turn back mm-hmm. over the right shoulder and, and get to that little lefty baby hook. Um, mm-hmm. You know, his, his playmaking out of the post was fantastic. You mentioned his stat line. He also had zero turnovers, which I think is just a yeah. fantastic sign for him. And that's also, you know, that speaks to me to the way that they were using him, right? Like Siakam's turnover season have mostly come when, he is trying to beat guys in isolation and when he's putting the ball on the floor, you know, like 25 feet from the hoop. And I I still think Mm -hmm. that is an important part of his game. And like, if you, if we want to see him get back to sort of the superstar level that he was playing at in the early part of last season, then he's still going to need to get back to the point where his handle is tight enough that he can take guys off the bounce. But for now, when to me, the hand looks a little bit looser, he doesn't quite have the same side to side wiggle that I think he was showing early last season. Uh, I do think he's going to be more effective as a guy who's playing out of the post and, and, you know, he can be an initiator certainly. And like, I don't think that they should, you know, abandon using him as a, as a pick and roll ball handler or anything like that. But I think, um, using him more as like a a play finisher or a play connector than the guy who's initiating has generally been pretty beneficial for him. Yeah. I got a lot more on Pascal. I want to get to in the final segment because I think he was uh, a pretty interesting figure in the Hawks game as well, but I agree with everything you said. It would also help, I think for his face up game. If you know, he had the threat of the pull up three that he had last year, because that's just not a thing right now. (laughs) And you just don't, although you know what it should yeah, it should it should be noted that he's shooting really really well from the mid range, and that's been super helpful. Yeah, 
And that's true. Um, you know, basically, if he was shooting the three as well as he was shooting it last year, his offensive numbers are like identical to what they were uh, last yeah. season. And, and even better, actually, because his playmaking is up. So like he's shooting better from two point range than he did last season. Um, and his numbers across the board are more or less the same. It's like you, you take his three point percentage and if he was shooting, I think he shot what 36% last year. Um, yep. If you give him a 36% three point shooting uh, rate this season, then his scoring numbers are basically exactly in line with what they were last season. So um, I, I think if that was the case, we'd be thinking about his season a whole lot differently in spite of all the other mildly concerning trends, including the kind of sloppy handle and the fact that he hasn't quite had that same touch around the basket that we've seen from him in the past. Yeah, for sure. I'm feeling, you know, it's not a hundred percent back to like last year's start Pascal in my mind when I watch him, but it's, it's getting a lot closer and I'm feeling pretty good about sort of him leveling off and being, who we kind of expect him to be the max player that people seem to think he's not. I, I'm pretty sure he's going to, people are going to feel just fine about that contract. If he continues playing the way he has recently, um, just a quick note before we get to the Hawks game, I thought the defense was an interesting point in this one too. Obviously the nets are impossible to stop. Uh, their offense is absurd. Deandre Jordan, just like walking in for dunks uh, one after another, but they did do a pretty good job of limiting Kyrie Irving and James Harden. James Harden had just 12 shooting possessions in this game, which is pretty incredible. Um, Harden, or sorry, Irving just 6 of 12, 0 of 4 from 3. He had seven turnovers. Uh, Durant, obviously, very weird fits and starts to his game. He had eight points in 19 minutes. Bizarre, you know, very similar, eerie, eerily similar vibes to the entire finals in 2019, where is, is Durant going to play? Oh, no, he's not going to play. Oh, now he's back, and it's terrifying, and now he's gone. Very strange. But uh, overall... How did you think the Raptors' defense held up against the Nets? Because I was pleasantly surprised with the way they played. Yeah, I mean, it it held up very well, obviously. I think you mentioned the the 12 shooting possessions for Harden, uh, Kyrie having more turnovers than made baskets. And I, I think that's probably a good segue into the Nets game because those two games in tandem are sort of a good example of the feast or famine strategy that the Raptors yeah. deploy defensively. And I think the fact that they were, you know, throwing all that extra attention toward Harden and Kyrie in order to get the ball out of their hands and make other guys beat them uh, is, you know, the reason that you saw like the other guys who were doing damage against them and snapping off were like, were like Joe Harris, uh, you know, Landry Shamit, Jeff Green, uh, TLC, like those are the guys who are burning them from three. And that is what you have to be willing to live with, I think, when you employ that aggressive star stopping strategy. And so it kind of worked against Brooklyn, even though I think Brooklyn still had like a pretty good offensive game on the whole. Yeah. Um, it worked as far as limiting what Harden and Irving could do and also forcing a lot of turnovers. And those are like two foundational pillars of the Raptors defense. It's like, what can we do to limit your stars and how can we turn you over as many times as possible? Um, mm -hmm. And so they, they tried to do the same thing against Atlanta and it didn't really work as well. So, um, <laughs> and I think there are some certain things that they could have done differently within the framework of that aggressive scheme to limit what the Hawks did, but also the Hawks just got ridiculously hot from three point range. And when you set yourself up in that kind of defensive alignment, that kind of defensive system, that's something that you do have to be willing to live with. Um, and again, like the, the execution certainly wasn't top notch in the Hawks game, but a, a big part of it certainly is the scheme. Absolutely. Uh, we will continue on that thought in just a second. Get into the Hawks game and our big takeaways from that one. But first, I want to tell everybody about our friends over at betonline.ag. Yeah, the Super Bowl might be over, but that doesn't mean there isn't a ton of great stuff for you to bet on over at betonline.ag. Right now, when you sign up for a free account at betonline.ag, use the promo code LOCKDOWN, you get a 50% welcome bonus, which means if you put in 100 bucks, you're going to get 150 to play with. That is a great deal. And of course, there are plenty of 
things to bet on right now. You've got the nightly NBA action. You've got NHL action every single night as well. You've got MLB futures. You've got Australian Open Tennis. Shout out to Joe Wolf on there. Uh, there's a million things for you to put your money down over on betonline.ag. So go and do it today. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore and get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit at Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar, the makers of the best tasting protein bar around. They have 18 amazing flavors in their new and improved formula, and my God, it's good. Some of those flavors include lemon almond cheesecake, incredible, cherry barcia, awesome as well, toffee almond, the all-time best, mint brownie, excellent too. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, they're soft and easy to chew, and they're great for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat that feels like you're cheating a lot more than you actually are. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for keto diets as well. For example, Cherry Barcia, which is excellent, 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and just 4 grams of net carbs. And right now, when you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you will get 20% off of your next order. That is the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, Joe, let's finish this thing out and take a look at the Hawks game. A 132-121 loss for the Raptors to send them to 10 and 13 on the season. They now sit eighth in the Eastern Conference, one game back of the Hawks in sixth. Um, you know, second night of the back-to-back caveats apply to this one, I think, quite a bit. They looked pretty gassed by the end, and I don't think they were necessarily helped by the fact that Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet were a little off. Fred ended up with 25 points somehow. I don't know how that happened. It seemed like he was uh, pretty out of it for most of this one. But, you know, there was a lot to sort of digest from this one. It was an interesting sort of strange chasing game for the Raptors where I thought they maybe played a little bit better at times than the scoreboard suggested. But then they had lots of lapses where they looked really bad as well. Joe, what was your overall biggest takeaway from this game? I mean, the Raptors got 22 more shooting possessions in this game than the Hawks did. And -hmm. they lost by double digits. (laughs) Like, that is hard to do, man. And and part of that was some not great offensive execution from the Raptors when they had the ball. Uh, The fact that they just had the ball so much more often than the Hawks did made up for some of that. And it's the reason that the game was close. Um, they, They beat them by 10 on the offensive glass. They were plus 12 in the turnover department. So they managed to keep themselves in it just by winning the possession game. But they didn't shoot the ball particularly well. And man, did they have trouble finishing around the basket. And this Mm. is a recurring problem for this team. Like they are one of the worst teams at scoring in the restricted area. I think they're tied for 28th in field goal percentage at the rim. And that just makes it tough. I mean, a lot of people have contributed to that. You know, we've talked at length in the past about Fred Van Vliet and how he struggles to finish uh, on account of his size. Um, There is also Aaron Baines who does not have size to lean on as an excuse for his inability to finish around the rim, but (laughs) man, oh man, is he struggling with his touch right now? Because not only did he miss a bunch of layups in that game, but (laughs) <laughs> he missed them badly. I mean, like, he he didn't even hit rim. I think there were three layup attempts where he missed everything. And Did those even count as shot attempts? <laughs> they were not even remotely close. <laughs> yeah, they should register as turnovers, right? Like, <laughs> and they should just start counting them as turnovers for whoever passed him the ball because... <laughs> um, <laughs> There was, there was a play uh, in the Nets game, actually, where Kyle had, like, he drove. And I can't remember who it was, whether it was DeAndre or, or one of the other Nets, quote-unquote, bigs, who he pump-faked mm-hmm. off of their feet and could have had, like, an open layup for himself. But I think his instinct there is always when he's in close and doesn't think he has, like, a wide-open layup. It's like, try and find the bigger player who's going to be more likely to finish. Uh, so sure. he pitched it back to Baines, who was... And Baines just totally biffed a wide open layup. And I was like, <laughs> I think, you know, Kyle, like you got to recalibrate, man. Like, <laughs> you can't, you can't be even like semi contested layups for Kyle Lowry are, are higher percentage propositions right now than wide open Aaron Baines layups. I'm sorry. That's just the reality. And 
was more heartened later in that game when there was like a rebound that that fell between Norm and Baines. And Norm just like ripped it right out of Baines' hands. It was like <laughs> not taking any chances. And that's what I want to see more of. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I think, you know, you, you see like 121 points on the scoreboard and you think like the offense wasn't the problem. Um, but given how active the Raptors were on the offensive glass and huge shout outs to Chris Boucher, who was doing the vast majority of the damage there, uh, I, I think they could have put up, you know, a lot more points than they actually did if they just had a little bit better touch around the basket. Yep. Um, that Bane stuff, man. I mean, you made the point last night, he might be the worst finisher you've ever seen. I countered with Biombo, but you were right in saying that Biombo uh, hit, would, would hit rim on his missed bunnies, at least. You know, I have been calling Bane's like, I... outback Biombo this season. <laughs> Um, the thing with Baines too is like, you know, I think people were very, very disenchanted with his minutes last night. Rightfully so. He was very bad. Um, and it was helped by the fact that Chris Boucher was incredible with a career high 29 on 10 of 13. And he was uh, a delight to watch. Probably got a little gassed having to play like 20 consecutive minutes to close the game because Baines was unplayable. But, you know, you take your lumps, I suppose. The thing that, you know, I think last night there was a lot of like, oh, Baines shouldn't even start anymore. Get Baines out of there. I just I, I think he's kind of necessary to the defense because I just don't think Chris Boucher has it in him to be that sort of back line rim protector who can help mop up the the mess after the Raptors play their very high risk defense. And I think Baines has at least shown some moments of being able to do that. Obviously, he kind of goes back and forth in his form and he will have some games where he's excellent, some games where he's terrible, last night being the latter. I just I don't think last night was like the reason why you move Aaron Baines out of the starting five. I, you know, I, I can get on board with like changing the starters based on the matchup. And if you think it's going to be a Boucher game, then start Boucher. If you think it's going to be a game where you can go small and start OG at the five, I'm cool with that when he when he's back. But I, I still think Baines serves a very important purpose to the Raptors. And it's unfortunate that you have to rely on him so much. But it, it just it's kind of the way it is with the way the roster is built. He has a very specific not to sound like Liam Neeson, but he has a very specific skill set that no one else on the team really has. And I don't think last night is a very good sort of, uh, you know, it's not very representative of what Aaron Baines provides. He was awful. He had zero rebounds. He was miserable. I don't think he's that bad at basketball, even with the poor finishing and all that. So that's kind of where I come down on that. Um, my big takeaway from this one, Joe, was about Pascal Siakam and how little he was used in the fourth quarter. I think he came in with like 840 left in the in the fourth. Um, you know, you mentioned the Raptors offense was just not quite stringing together enough buckets to keep up with Atlanta. And I was really kind of puzzled by the lack of Pascal late in this game. And, and I've talked about this before this season. It's partly on him to like demand the ball and all that stuff, I guess. But also I find that part of the drawback of playing Chris Boucher a little bit is that you kind of have to have him screen because he doesn't do a whole lot else super well and you kind of need to work his offense into the game his dive game is really important when he's out there and when you have two ball dominant guards and Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet you can kind of forget about the six foot nine dude who can also handle the ball a little bit a lot of time a lot of the time and they just seem to go away from him in clutch moments in a way that they just really did not last year. They were so good in crunch time last season because they played Pascal, you know, played everything through Pascal, whether he was the ball handler and Kyle was screening for him or vice versa. And they were basically unstoppable. And they're not doing that as much this year. It just kind of feels like they're forgetting about him. Are you noticing the same thing, Joe? Are you similarly concerned with his late game usage? And I should note... Last year, the Raptors were the number two crunch time team in the league. This year, per NBA.com, they are number 25 in net rating, minus 14.3 in clutch situations in 13 games, 46 total minutes. And they, I believe, are 0-11 now, trailing after three quarters, which was not much of an obstacle for them last year. They were the kings of the comeback. So, Joe, what the hell's going on with Pascal's late game usage? Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't know really how to answer that. I don't think that I've, like noticed it really that much apart from this game but I think the point that you made about Boucher is a good one in that you know you want him to be involved 
involved in the pick and roll if he's out there on the floor, right? Like that's that's where he's best utilized, especially on the dive. But like he can also pop. He's been doing that really mm-hmm. effectively. And if he's involved in the central action, I think it's okay. Well, what are you doing with Pascal? Like you don't want to have him in the post or like in the dunker spot because that is going to clutter things up for Boucher. If you want him to be able to run to the rim, um, you don't really want to have him spotting up. Uh, he hasn't been an effective three point shooter this year and like defenses are just going to ignore him. So that, you know, then your option is kind of, okay, you want to have him like, cutting from the wing kind of like off of those pick and rolls do you want to have him handling in the pick and roll you know like maybe like a a siakam boucher pick and pop could be pretty effective and then you Mm -hmm. just have like lowry and van vliet kind of like screening and cutting and relocating off of the ball um but i do think you know there's a there's a bit of a balance there that you need to strike and, and figure out how you want your late game offense to function uh but I mean, it's worth pointing out that like Pascal has not been good in the clutch this season, right? Like, right. Yeah, no fair. <laughs> um, and I don't think that's necessarily a reason to just say, okay, well, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, you know, you mentioned how effective they were in the clutch last season. How much of that was just running like a, an inverted pick and roll with Pascal and like one of Kyle and Fred screening. Uh, I mm-hmm. feel like that's fallen by the wayside a little bit this season and I would like to see them sort of reinstitute that as a late game set. Um, I just think that puts a lot of pressure on the defense um, because obviously, you know, if, if they're sending two to the ball, then one of Kyle or Fred is going to slip to three. Uh, if they're switching it, Pascal can go to work against a smaller defender. If they're sort of playing it straight up, Pascal can just sort of use his speed to bust through the seam and get to the rim. Like there are a lot of different options out of that set. Um, that can be really beneficial, but I don't know if it comes down to much more than the fact that like, like when they've run the late game offense through Pascal, he's not been very good at it. Yeah, that's totally fair as well. I think, you know, it felt particularly pronounced last night. I think he only took three shots in the fourth quarter. He didn't score, I think in the second half, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe he just had one bucket in the second half. You know, it just on a team that lacks, a lot of offensive punch it seems to me and maybe I'm just overhyping a few games in my head but it does feel like they have gone away from the dude who has the most offensive punch far too often and you know again it could be recency bias and, and you're right like he's not scoring well in those situations and the team itself yes their offense has been bad in, cl- in the clutch they're a 109.5 offensive rating not amazing but their defensive rating is 123.8 and that's also something to be concerned about if you are looking at the crunch time struggles for the team that, you know, they can string together all the offensive, you know, possessions, all the good offensive possessions in the world. But if they're allowing a parade of Trey Young floaters, then, you know, there's uh, there's going to be a limit on how much their offense can sort of overcompensate. So that's my thought there. Um Joe, one last thing I wanted to to bring up about this game, and this has been a bit of a thing in recent games, especially since OG Ananobi's been out, uh, but the one-starter lineups, I would like to throw them in the trash forever and ever because they are not good. Uh, It's a lot of the Fred Van Vliet plus, like, Bembry, Boucher, Johnson, Watanabe, sometimes Terrence Davis, although I think last night, even though Davis somehow ended up with the best plus-minus on the team at plus one, that should tell you what you should think about that stat. I thought he was miserable, and I would really hope that this will be the sort of nail in the coffin on him getting minutes regularly with the team because he was a nightmare. And for some reason, every time he catches the ball, he just does jab step oblivion to whoever's guarding him, and then he pisses it away. I, I just please stop playing him. He's bad at basketball. But um, the one starter lineups, you would think that once OG's back and Norm moves to the bench, or maybe you have to keep Norm starting. I don't know. He he looks freaking incredible right now. But um, once OG's back, it would be easier to have at least two of their sort of main five guys on at all times. But well, what's Nurse doing here, man? Because it seems like the track record of these one starter lineups, you know, as much as Kyle Lowry's entire career is built on dragging four humps to success maybe don't make him do it at all times, especially with lineups that don't have a ton of punch outside of him. I was going to say, yeah, the, the Lowry and bench lineup against the Nets was pretty incredible. Uh, they, they had that one stretch <laughs> in the second quarter where they just 
really took it to Brooklyn. Um, that was great to see. But if if the one starter is anyone other than Lowry, and even yeah. like you mentioned, when it is given given the sum of the players who are making up uh, the rest of those lineups, it's pretty dicey. And man, I don't know. I think you know it, it highlights what I think is sort of an issue with the construction of this Raptors roster is that there maybe just isn't enough two-way talent here outside of like the Mm. core four guys where you're forced to play either like all defense players, which seems to be nurse's preference or all offense players. And you're not really finding the right balance. And so, yeah, if you're throwing out a lineup with like Bembry, Stan and Utah, you can expect that like you're going to defend pretty well, but you're also going to have a really hard time scoring. And that's also going to put pressure on your defense, you know, as much defensive talent as you might have out there. If the opposing team is just constantly getting out in like semi-transition because you're missing every shot, then it's sort of going to have a compounding effect where like the thing that these players are out there to do, which is defend is getting that much more difficult because the other team is never really pulling the ball out of the basket. Um, and it, it's just like really hard to manufacture spacing with those lineups. So they need to like be getting out and transition more, which means they are looking to force turnovers at every opportunity, which means like they're committing a lot of fouls. Like the Raptors are a high mm-hmm. foul team. And this has been sort of an underplayed element. I think of their defensive struggles is that they just like can't stop hacking people. Uh, And and I know a lot of fans and maybe some Raptors themselves would point to like the officiating this season, but (laughs) like, come on. I mean, if you, if you've watched this team this season, you know, they are very swipe happy. They are very physical. That's the way they want to play. And that's important because of how important, you know, forcing turnovers has been not only to their defense, but to their offense as well. So it's not something that I would necessarily want them to completely stop doing, but um but they haven't been particularly disciplined. I mean, you mentioned Terrence Davis, like he, I, I totally agree. Like he, even apart from all the unsavory stuff that, that we know about him as a person, like yeah. he just can't keep his hand out of the cookie jar. Like he is so <laughs> unbelievably undisciplined and I, I, I'm really tired of seeing it to be perfectly honest. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is there. I do think once OG gets back, that'll be easier, you know, to stagger the starters. I I mean, th- this isn't, you know, sort of unrelated, but, well, it's related to what we were talking about earlier, but I agree that, like, Norm has looked 10 times better as a starter than coming off of the bench. So, mm-hmm. in regards to what we were saying about Baines, and I, I know you were kind of saying he – has a particular set of skills that you need. Like you don't really have anybody else in the team that can replicate that function. I don't know that I agree. I think, I think when OG comes back, they should keep Norm in the starting lineup and just start small, you know, maybe against all, but like a select few teams when, when it's like Joel Embiid or Steven Adams or, you know, Jokic on the other side, but like, Oh, really? no. what? Jokic is OG's son, so <laughs> you can <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> but like I, I don't really know what you're losing with that. Like, what is Baines really giving you? The the rebounding really hasn't been that much better with him on the floor. It's been pretty negligible. So yeah. he's not really improving your rebounding. He's not really improving the interior defense. And I get that maybe you don't want to like burn out OG and Pascal by forcing them to defend up. But, like, I think OG can handle it, man. And it's like you you can go to the bench, you know, after six minutes or whatever and bring Boucher into the game. But that way you can keep Norm with the starters where he's clearly more comfortable, you know, playing off of other creators. And I, I don't think Baines needs to fall out of the rotation entirely. I think there could still be a role for him to play, like, 10 or 12 minutes off of the bench. But, like, I just feel like they're starting so many games in a hole because they're bleeding points in his minutes. And I just don't know if it's worthwhile, you know, when OG comes back to like shuttle Norm back to the bench and and see if, you know, where, where he might struggle there again. Like, 
uh, I think that that small ball unit can be pretty effective. And I honestly don't think you lose that much in terms of interior defense and rebounding that they need to be like tethered to Baines in the way that they have been. This is why I bring you on the podcast, man. You're smarter than I am, and you have just convinced me that they should go full small and commit to OG at center once he's back. Uh, <laughs> well argued. You've done you've done good here. Um, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to poke holes in that argument. It really is. So congratulations, uh, I guess, for knocking me off of my admittedly maybe kind of poor point. Um, that feels like a pretty good place to uh, to leave this one. Honestly, we've gone pretty long. It was a pretty loaded weekend, so that's why we went, we went long. Uh, but, Joe, I want to thank you for uh, coming on and, and chatting and, and taking the time. Really appreciate it. Anything that you would like to promote? Um, I mean, you can always follow my stuff, read my stuff at thescore.com uh, score or the Score mobile app. Um. I did recently write a piece about the Raptors fouling proclivities and how that's contributed to their defensive struggles. You can read that. Um, I wrote a piece about the Clippers and how reliant they are on jump shots and went through some of the history to decide whether that disqualifies them from championship contention. Uh, And I also scripted a video for the scores YouTube channel recently about Serena Williams on the eve of the Australian open. Um, so you can check that out. You could subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is just like constantly churning out really high quality videos. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Joey underscore W. You can listen to Pound the Rock, the weekly NBA show I do with Joe Casharo. And I think that's all I got. Sounds good, man. Uh, th- if that's all you got, that you've you, you brought so much today, so uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. You can su- uh, support the show by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated when you take the time to do that. Also, go and check out the other Locked On shows covering the teams that you like. If you are a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, the Leafs are uh, laying waste to the North Division right now and uh, just beating up on all the sad sack Canadian teams. Go listen to Mike DiStefano on Locked On Leafs this year breaks it all down for you it's very fun right now they're scoring so so many goals anyway that will do it i'll be back again on monday night after the grizzlies game until then thank you so much we'll talk to you then with another episode of locked on raptors Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. A Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.